Hello, welcome to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start with Raw's Highlights of the Week. Just to give you a quick update, Raw this week and next week, same thing with NXT for both this week and next week. Well, technically the weeks that just happened and next week going on. They will be on Sci-Fi. So again, they will not be on USA Network because the USA Network will be showing the uh, Winter Olympics. They will be on the Sci-Fi Network. We do find out on Monday Night Raw, they do announce that we will have another Elimination Chamber match at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, which will be the uh, stipulation is the winner of this match will face the Raw Women's Champion at WrestleMania. And inside the chamber, we do know that Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Nikki A.S.H., Liv Morgan, Dewdrop, and a mystery competitor will be inside this elimination chamber. Now, I do have a feeling that the mystery uh, competitor will be Alexa Bliss because they have been uh, hyping her return to come back to Monday Night Raw for a good solid month and a half now and they've been doing this whole therapy segments of her going to a therapist since she's lost uh lily her doll and they've been trying to show us her uh basically coping with this so i have a feeling she'll be popping back up at elimination chamber and being the mystery uh competitor and winning that if that does happen I will not be a happy camper because she just popping in and she'll get a mania match while you have all these hardworking women in there, especially Bianca Belair, who has never had a fair one-on-one situation with Becky Lynch without Becky cheating to win the match. I think that Bianca should win this and go off and have her match at Mania with Becky and win the Raw Women's Championship and more or less probably even start an undefeated uh, streak for Bianca because Bianca is the future of the women's division. But nevertheless, that's uh, just an announcement that they did announce on Raw, but getting to it. The first segment that they had on Monday Night Raw to open the show was the final round of the Alpha Academy Academic Challenge, and this round is... A quiz bowl, which means each team will get a chance to answer a question. They have to get to a total number of five points. If one team missed a question, the other uh, team had the opportunity to steal that question and answer it to get the point. It will come down to RK Bro basically winning the championship and winning the match. Well, the challenge, if you will, by winning this question. And the question was, how many grams are in an ounce? Now, obviously, RK Bro has the team members of Randy Orton and Riddle, and Riddle is, uh, he's not a stoner per se on WWE television, but, but we do get the essence that we do know what Riddle does. He's kind of have that, uh, stoner vibe. They just never ever technically say it on television. And since they're in Denver, Colorado, which I believe is a, uh, marijuana, f- uh, Like, you could smoke marijuana there. People did understand exactly what that question was about. And Randy Orton answered it. And Randy Orton answered that it was 28 grams being the answer for how many grams are in an ounce. And they win. So, Bro wins that. And now they get a championship opportunity in the future, but not tonight. After the challenge was done, the Street Profits come out to taunt the Alpha Academy 
which leads to Alpha Academy having a match with Street Profits next, and Alpha Academy would win the match by pinfall when Gable had Angelo Dawkins in an ankle lock, but Dawkins tried to reverse it, which allowed Gable to transition that reversal into a pinning attempt for the win. Solid tag team match between the Street Profits and uh, Alpha Academy. They did this to give Alpha Academy basically a boost since they lost in their uh, academic challenge. After this, we had Bobby Lashley at MVP's in-ring promo. Uh, the fans here love Bobby tonight because we are in the hometown of Bobby Lashley, Denver, Colorado. MVP mentions what happened last week and talked about how him and Bobby should have been partying last week after Bobby reclaimed back his WWE Championship after beating Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. But instead, they got the news of Bobby Lashley having to defend his championship at the Elimination Chamber. MVP mentions that Brock's whole plan of making his match with Roman at Mania title for title is a fairy tale because Bobby will walk out of the chamber still the WWE champion. Bobby then was able to get the mic from MVP and he says that he hopes in the chamber it comes down to him and Brock being the last two men inside the Elimination Chamber because he wants to put Brock down again just like he did at the Royal Rumble and walk out the WWE champion putting an end to the dispute of who's better between Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley, which again, I think a lot of people will want to see that too, because personally, we didn't get to see Bobby and Brock technically go uh, all the way that we were supposed to see it, but also with the incentive of them inside of an elimination chamber basically being around nothing but carnage and destruction steel, that just puts another element on that whole Bobby, Brock, who's better, and that barbaric-ness of both of these two just big beasts, these titans just clashing with each other. I hope these two do come down, it being those two at the end of the chamber. I really do. So we can see Bobby beating Brock, and I ain't gonna front, because I don't want to see Brock defend that WWE Championship against Roman at uh, Mania for the Universal Championship in a unification match. I don't want to see it, and I'll break it down more if that happens to happen, but just know that if it becomes... If that does happen, where both of the championships are defended at Mania for the Undisputed Championship, just know I'm not going to be a happy camper. Anyway, after this, we had AJ Styles going against Damian Priest in a championship uh, qualifier match. AJ will win the match by pinfall when AJ caught uh, Priest with the phenomenal forearm because Priest was running off the ropes and AJ having to jump up and hit the phenomenal forearm on Damian Priest, uh, which now means AJ gets a future United States Championship match. After the match, we saw Damian Priest slowly start freaking out in the corner and starting to let out his Damian side. The camera start panning back and forth from AJ in the entrance ramp, walking up, smiling, and it panned back over to Damian, start freaking out like his gritting his teeth, and he would start grabbing at his chair and like he's trying to yank it off a little bit. So, I mean, we're starting to see Damian a little bit unravel here, and he shouldn't have a problem unraveling. Like, this winch like from AJ shouldn't be the thing to like cause Damien to freak out because AJ Styles is a phenomenal competitor and Damien Priest has been on a long winning role for a long time so him freaking out to AJ Styles it just doesn't make sense but I mean if this leads to us seeing a nastier side of Damien and him actually becoming a bad guy instead of always being that good guy until he tweaks out I'm with it I want to see what type of uh, nastiness we get from Damian Priest if we get it that far with it. Anyway, after this, we have an in-ring segment, which is Miz TV with Miz and Maurice and their guests, uh, Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. 
The whole point of them being out here is for Ray to accuse Miz of cheating last week and beating his son, uh, Dominic. Miz talks about how people like Edge, Rey Mysterio, and Eddie Guerrero cheated, and they would get cheered from the fans, but when Miz does it, he gets booed, which, technically, Miz does have a point, but you gotta remember, people love Rey Mysterio. People love Eddie. Shoot, Eddie made us his whole motto. I lie, I cheat, I steal. He was at least honest with it. And Edge, when he did it, boy, he was a scumbag in 20, 2005, 2006, and seven. Nobody liked him. He just got the nostalgia. Everybody loves to see Edge now. So, I mean, if Edge happens to cheat now, he's able to get away with it as long as he doesn't go and do it against, like, somebody probably even like an AJ or even like a Drew. Somebody that the fans actually care about. Anybody else? Everybody's going to love him for it. Uh, Miz talks about how that isn't fair, and Miz even mentions how he should have been inside the men's elimination chamber for the WWE Championship, and Miz then starts complaining about how he should be on the cover of the new WWE 2K22 game, but Rey Mysterio's on it. Miz complains that he doesn't get enough respect around here. Dominic then tells the Miz that he should be showing his father, Rey Mysterio, some respect if he wants respect. Miz then challenges Dominic to a match right now. Dominic accepts the challenge, and then Miz has to throw a little dig at Rey Mysterio and tell Dominic that, you know what, I didn't know this until just right now that you're taller than your father, Rey. And then he throws this in and says, are you sure you're not Eddie's kid? So now Rey wants to get at Miz, but Dominic has the whole raid back, and Dominic eventually tells his father, I got it, and then he goes over and shoves Miz, and he just starts yelling at him a little bit. At this point, I would have had Dominic just start yelling profanity at him in Spanish. I mean, just going, I mean, just going barbaric with it, just start cussing at him in Spanish with it. Nobody in English would have understood it, but all the Hispanic fans would have understood it. And that's what I like with the bilingual competitors, whether it be Io Shirai, Rey Mysterio, or um, anybody that just has another language in their repertoire that they could use. I would have them heighten that and use that whenever it's a fury infuriating moment. Have Shinsuke curse somebody in Japanese, Ray in Spanish, Dominic especially in Spanish because he's still new to the WWE uh, fan base. We all know him as Ray's kid. Give him that little edge of being able to speak Spanish and just curse somebody out when he gets upset and have his father look at him and he just tell him, hey, Bops, hey, I just felt that way. I'm just saying, just give Dominic that little extra oomph. That's what he could do. Uh, anyway, after this, we had Miz with his wife, Maurice, in his corner, going against Dominic, who had Ray Mysterio in his corner. Dominic will win the match by pinfall thanks to his dad's help when the referee injected uh, Maurice from the match because Maurice got caught tripping Dominic in the ring. So the ref told Maurice she had to leave the ring. When this happens and Maurice wouldn't leave, the ref is now paying attention to Maurice and telling her that she had to leave out. Ray takes the opportunity to trip the Miz, and Miz falls and trips. So Miz now arguing with Ray, which allows Dominic to roll up Miz, and the referee turns around, sees Dominic pinning Miz. Dominic wins the match like that. So now it's one and one. Miz got a win last week, and now Dominic has a win over the Miz. So more or less, they'll probably do a tiebreaker next week. After this, we have Bianca Belair going against Nikki A.S.H., Bianca Belair will win the match by pinfall when Bianca will hit the KOD for the win. Again, setting up for their Elimination Chamber uh, showdown coming in another week or two. After this, we had Kevin Owens going against Austin Theory. 
Kevin Owens will win the match by pinfall when he caught Austin Theory with a super kick, then with a stunner. Kevin Owens' whole purpose for this matchup is to beat Austin Theory, and in his idea, he thought if he beats Austin Theory, he gets added into the Elimination Chamber. He goes to uh, Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville. He pleads his case. They tell him that, he, that that's not happening. This match wasn't for it. That happened last week, and KO isn't going to be in the side Elimination Chamber. After this, we have a Lita in-ring promo, and Lita mentions how it's surreal to be here. She mentioned how she feels at home when she was in the Rumble, and that's the reason why she came out last week on Raw to go for broke when she challenged Becky for a match at the Elimination Chamber for the Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch then decides to come out, and Becky mentions that Lita was her hero when she was a child. Becky mentions how Lita didn't treat her like everybody else did when she first joined WWE by everybody turning their nose up at Becky, but Lita was the one giving her uh, advice and confidence to continue on. Becky then goes on to say, if there was no Lita, there would be no Becky Lynch. But then you start seeing Becky turn on Lita by telling her that it's hurtful how Lita is trying to take the championship away from her, especially since she knows it's mania season meaning that every moment is precious. Becky talks about how she has beaten everybody that's gotten in her way, and she will have no problem putting Lita down if Lita gets in her way. Lita tells Becky that Becky's right. She has beaten everybody, and that Becky is at the top of her game. Lita says, but that's the reason why she's here. Lita talks about how the fans were the ones that supported her then, whenever she started her career, and how they're still here to support her to this day. So she's okay with her odds at Elimination Chamber. Becky was about to leave the ring, but turns around and tries to cheap shot Lita. Lita ducks it, and now they get into a scrap between Becky and Lita. Becky gets the better of it, and she's about to leave, but she decides to go back for seconds and tries to hit the manhandle slam on Lita. Lita counters it, hits Becky with a twist of fate, then climbs the turnbuckle and hits her patented moonsault on Becky Lynch and leaves Becky Lang. I want to say this right now. I'm glad they're giving Lita this run right now because you know what? If you look back at 2005, 2006, the way when Lita left WWE, it was now with 2022 eyes, it was a disgrace because no competitor, no female competitor should be leaving out of the company, a company that she helped bring into another era with her and the Hardy Boys uh, team Extreme, she was helping them bring up the tag team division at that time with the TLCs and all this stuff, doing all these high spots. She left in a bad position in 2006. People calling her a whore, people calling her everything but a child of God in 2006 whenever she retired. If you know and look back in 2005, 2006, you know the whole Edge, Lita, Matt Hardy love triangle that was at one point, real life turned into WWE. They brought real life situation into television so the fans can see it and all this stuff. And then it dragged on where every freaking superstar, whether you were on SmackDown, Raw, where it was a cross-promotion pay-per-view, somebody had to call Lita a whore or a slut or something else. It just wasn't doing an indestined look good on Lita with 2020. Two eyes in 2005 2006, everybody 
didn't have a problem with it because you want to know why? People felt that Lita was a bad person at that time. But now, after age and everything has now taken its time, of course, everybody can see now that that was the wrong thing to do. So I'm glad somebody reached out to talk to Lita and giving her this run of let's not let people remember 2006 being the last time like Lita got her last run. Let's give her her just due, especially since it's Mania season coming around. Why not give her this last run to give her something to hang her hat on in the WWE? So I want to give kudos to whoever thought of this idea for Lita. I want to say thank you for that. After this, we had Dewdrop going against Liv Morgan. Dewdrop will win the match by pinfall when Dewdrop will hit the Vader bomb on Liv Morgan for the win. Now it's time for the main event on Monday Night Raw. It's Seth Rollins going against Riddle. Riddle will win the match by disqualification when Kevin Owens came through the crowd and attacks Riddle. KO will then proceed to attack Riddle some more until Randy Orton comes out and RKO's uh, Kevin Owens. They get to go to commercial break, and then when we come back, we see Adam Pearce is out there at ringside, and now this is a tag team match where RK Bro is going against Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens will win the match by pinfall when Seth would hit uh, Riddle behind the head with a rolling elbow and then a curb stomp for the win. After the match, as Seth was walking outside of the ring, Randy Orton would get in the ring and hit another RKO on Kevin Owens, basically to send the fans happy on that Monday Night Raw. Anyway, with that all being said, that is your Raw highlights of the week. Now on to NXT. Again, NXT was on Sci-Fi this week. And next week, they will be on Sci-Fi again. And next week will be their NXT special edition of Vengeance Day. Now, the first match on NXT this week was the semifinals of the Men's Dusty Tag Team Classic between the teams of the Kree Brothers going against the Grizzly Young Veterans. The Kree Brothers will win the match when Julius Kree would hit his Oklahoma Slam and then he was going for his signature sliding clothesline every time that he would do after the Oklahoma Slam. But Brutus told Julius that he got it, and he would hit the signature sliding clothesline for the win. So the Creed Brothers advance to the finals next week, and we will see who they will be going against later in the night. This match was a good match to start off NXT. You had the fans hot, ready for this match. The fans were all up throughout the whole matchup. They liked the Creed Brothers. They also do like the Grizzly Young Veterans, so they didn't mind who would win but you saw the fans cheer a lot for the creed brothers so this tells you right here that they were really rooting for the creed brothers but again both teams came out great grizzly young veterans obviously have a lot much more seasoning on them they're a seasoned tag team they're two uh competitors individuals that have wrestled for a good solid bit while the creed brothers are still new but they have been working good in the nxt system so they have been doing phenomenal work as uh, a tag team. So, again, great opening matchup to start off NXT. The second matchup that happened was Tiffany Stratton going against Wendy Chu. Tiffany would win the match by pinfall, when Tiffany would hit a spinning splash off the bottom turnbuckle on Wendy for the win. Solid match between Tiffany and Wendy. I thought Wendy was going to win it, but they gave it to Tiffany here. No complaints. After this, we have Pete Dunne going against Draco Anthony. Pete Dunne would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Draco with the better end. However, towards the end of the match, Tony D'Angelo did try to attack Pete Dunne's hand with the crowbar, but 
Pete Dunne moved his hand out of the way and Tony missed. And then Pete Dunne was able to push Tony into a steel ring post. After the match, Tony tried to put Pete Dunne in a sleeper hole, but Pete Dunne was able to snap Tony D'Angelo's fingers. And this allowed Tony to drop off the ring apron. And then Pete Dunne went outside of the ring and started grabbing anything he could from underneath the ring. He grabbed steel chairs, trash can, trash can lids, kendo sticks, even a toolbox full of whole lot of tools. Pete Dunne then grabs his microphone and he tells Tony that next week they will attach weapons to the steel cage and they will have a weaponized steel cage match. Tony agrees to it, so we do know next week at Avenger Day, it will be Pete Dunne going against Tony D'Angelo in a weaponized steel cage. I'll basically call it a one-on-one men's version of Lethal Lockdown. After this, we have LA Knight going against Sangha with uh, Grayson Waller in his corner. LA Knight would win the match by pinfall, thanks to a distraction by Waller. Waller got us on the ring apron, and he starts taking off the top turnbuckle padding off. The referee sees it and tells Waller to get off the ring apron. When this happens, LA Knight rakes the eyes of Sangha. Then you see Knight running over to Waller, trying to get a cheap shot on Waller, but Waller drops off the apron. Sangha now runs over towards Knight, but Knight moves out of the way, so this has Sangha hit the unprotected turnbuckle. This allows Knight to then hit a jumping neck breaker on Sangha for the win. After the match, Waller would get into the ring, and then you see Knight and Waller trade blows with each other until Knight would get the better of it and hit the BFT on Waller and then leave the ring. We would hear from Waller later in the night when Waller tells everybody that next week he's going to have LA Knight arrested because LA Knight broke his restraining order when he attacked Waller after the match. So we're going to have to see if Knight does get arrested or we're going to see some other type of shenanigans uh, be at play next week. After this, we have an in-ring segment, a championship summit, if you will, between the challenger Santos Escobar with his family, Legado del Fantasma, right behind him, and the NXT champion, Braun Breaker. This segment started off with Braun telling Santos that they could fight right now because we all know how these contract signings go where people basically flipping tables and fighting off with each other. Santos tells Braun that everything is on his time, and he breaks down what that means. Santos tells Braun that he's pulling the strings, and Santos already has everything played out right now, so everything is on his time. However, what nobody expects to happen is Dolph Ziggler, music hits, and Dolph comes walking down to the ring. Now, Dolph Ziggler is a Monday Night Raw competitor, and we're trying to figure out why Dolph is here. Well, if people have been paying attention to the internet, let me tell you why Dolph is here. Apparently, this past week on Twitter, he got to a little spat with Braun Breaker, and he came down to NXT to basically confront Braun. Dolph tells Braun that he needs to continue going for the clout, which means going after Dolph on Twitter. And then Dolph talks about he can be here all night listing his accolades. And he starts listing them off. He says he's an Intercontinental Champion, United States Champion, Sole Survivor, a Survivor Series, uh, Money in the Bank winner, a former World Heavyweight Champion. And he talks about, but there's still a championship he's missing, and it's the NXT Championship. Then we get Tommaso Ciampa coming out. And Tommaso lets Dolph know that he doesn't want to see Dolph as NXT champ- champion. 
Tommaso even insults Dolph by calling him kid. Something that Dolph Ziggler does a lot by calling his competitors kid. Santos gets up and says he's had enough and lets everybody know that once he takes the title off of Braun Breaker, one by one he will beat all of them. Dolph speaks and tells Tommaso, when will this all end for you? Talking about leaving NXT and probably going up to the main roster, he tells Tommaso, like, when will you finally get off the training wheels, get the helmet and shoulder pads off? Basically saying that Tommaso's too old to basically be in NXT. Tommaso isn't trying to hear this, so he basically kicks Dolph in the face. So now you get Tommaso and Dolph fighting on the outside and basically fighting up their way up the ramp into the back, while the Legado del Fantasma attacks Braun Breaker inside the ring. And ultimately, Legado's uh, Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde puts Braun Breaker through the table in the middle of the ring. Again, this whole segment was basically to set up Santos Escobar and Braun Breaker's matchup next week at Vengeance Day for the NXT Championship, and also even add in the spice of Dolph Ziggler now technically being on NXT until he basically wins the NXT Championship. After this, we will have Saray going against Dakota Kai. Saray will win the match by pinfall when Saray would hit her signature dropkick while Dakota was leaning on the bottom rope, and then Saray will pick up Dakota and hit a T-bone suplex, or better known as an exploder suplex, for the win. After this, we will have the other semifinals men dusty tag team classic matchup between MSK and the team of Malik Blade and Idris Inafi. MSK will win the match by pinfall when MSK hit their assisted blockbuster for the win. So next week, it has been announced. MSK will be going against the Kree brother in the finals of the men's Dusty Tag Team Classic at Vengeance Day. Now we get to the main event of NXT. It's for the NXT Women's Championship. Mandy Rose going against KD Ray. Mandy will win the match by pinfall when JC Jane would get on the ring apron to distract the referee and Gigi Dolan would run from the crowd, get on the ring apron, and push Kaylee Ray off the top turnbuckle. This would allow Mandy to hit her bicycle knee on Kaylee Ray for the win. After the match, Toxic Attraction would get in the ring and JC and Gigi will hold up Kaylee Ray while Mandy would get Kaylee Ray's baseball bat and put it near Kaylee Ray's face. As Toxic Attraction is now taunting uh, Kaylee Ray, this would allow Io Shirai to come down to the ring to make the save. Io, Io would take out both Gigi and JC, while Mandy would try to get at Io Shirai by grabbing her by her hair. Kaylee Ray would get Mandy, hit her with the KLR bomb, and then you'll see Toxic Attraction all retreating. Io Shirai is basically out here to recruit Kaylee Ray to be her partner for the women's Dusty Tag Team Classic. And more or less, it's probably going to happen. So you're going to see Eos Rai and Kaylee Ray being tag team partners for this whole women's Dusty Tag Team Classic. NXT was a great watch this week. It was fine. It is basically one episode leading up to next week's big uh, Vengeance Day uh, event. But anyway, that is your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. Dynamite opens up with Warlow coming down with two cutouts of one of MGF putting CM Punk in the sleeper hold and MGF crossing his legs. Um, basically his 
winning celebration over CM Punk last week. This whole segment is all about MGF basically celebrating his win over CM Punk, beating CM Punk twice in Chicago last week. You had FTR and Tully Blanchard coming out and having their own entrance. You had Sean Spears coming out and having his own entrance. And Tony Schiavone even points out on commentary that Sean Spears gets his own entrance, but not Wardlow. So that adds more fuel to the fire of this whole separation that Wardlow feels from the pinnacle. And then you see Justin Roberts get handed a list of accolades to read off while announcing MJF, where MJF is now being carried out on a chair by four men and two women in front of the four men. Basically makes it look like MJF basically just won the world championship. It was very, very uh, grandiose for MJF, and that's the whole MJF character. MJF is nothing but a prick, and he's going to celebrate the biggest wins of his career by doing big old events, even if he has not won a single AEW championship yet in AEW. Warlow is in the ring. He has the bottle. He basically pours a glass for FTR, Sean Spears. He's basically the bottle guy. MJF gets in the ring and he says that he is better than the best of the world because he proved it last week by beating CM Punk twice in the dumpster fire that is of Chicago, Illinois. Um, He does mention that he does want to thank one person in particular, because if it wasn't for this person, he wouldn't have been able to beat CM Punk last week, and Warlow looks like he's about to get that recognition, but he doesn't say Warlow's name, he says Sean Spears' name, and Sean Spears goes up to MGF, they hug each other, and Warlow just looks more pissed off now, but FTR walks over to Warlow and has to like calm him down, like pat him on the shoulder, like, hey man, it's okay, it's alright. Punk comes out on the entrance uh, ramp, and he basically tells MGF that, you know what, I've learned now from my mistakes last week. I now have backup with me, and he calls out, well, he doesn't call out, he waves out Darby Allen and Sting to come out, and Darby and, and Sting both are carrying baseball bats, Darby with one and Sting with two. Sting hands Punk a baseball bat, and Punk declares that he wants a rematch. MGF says, no, I beat you twice last week. Punk tells him, I don't want to rematch with you. I want to rematch with the guy that truly beat me last week. And he says, I want to rematch with Warlow. Punk says that if he doesn't get the match that he wants, he's going to come down and beat them all up with bats. MJF says that isn't going to happen. And he doesn't, and then that he didn't need anybody's help last week to beat Punk. Punk then gets on the microphone and tells Warlow, you hear that big man? He said he didn't need you. Pay attention to that. Pay attention. Dax Harwood gets the mic and tells Punk, listen, I don't feel comfortable dressing up in these fancy suits. I don't even look good in them. I'd more rather fight, if any, if I'm going to be honest with you, I want a rematch from a couple months ago where the six man of Darby, Sting, and Punk beat FTR and MJF. Punk says, that's cool, and we can do that right now. MJF says, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to wrestle here in Atlantic City. But he does make a match for Punk. He says that you had to find a partner tonight, but it can't be Sting or Darby, and you got to go against FTR. If you win, you'll get your rematch with me in any match that you want at any time. So we will get the match of CM Punk and a mystery partner going against FTR later in the night. After this segment happens, we go to a backstage, and we see Sting and Darby finally meeting up with Andrade. 
This whole segment is Andrade basically trying to tell Sting that he wants Darby to work for him. Sting tells Andrade that Darby's his own man, and you need to talk to Darby man to man. Darby tells Andrade that he doesn't want to work for Andrade and that he doesn't have time for this because his focus is on becoming the TNT champion again. Andrade then tells Darby that they both have something in common in that it's TNT championship, but the difference is Andrade says that he will be the next TNT champion. So that kind of tells you where Andrade's eyes are basically leaking towards next. So more or less, he's probably going to be in the face of the Revolution ladder match. That's where I think that's where that's headed, and Darby's more or less going to be in that too. After this, we have our first match of the night is the Blade going against Warlow with Sean Spears in his corner. Warlow does win the match by pinfall when he hits four power bombs on the Blade for the win, and then after the match, Sean Spears gets in the ring and hits the Blade with a steel chair to the back. Warlow is pissed at this because Sean Spears is still trying to get the shine after Warlow puts the beating on his opponents as he does every single time. After this, we finally have our big inner circle town meeting in the ring. We have uh, Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Jake Hager coming out to Chris Jericho's music, but we don't see Proud and Powerful come out with them. Proud and Powerful instead come out with their own music and everything else. They're not wearing the inner circle like biker jackets. They're wearing their own uh, clothing. Santana gets on the mic and tells Jericho that Jericho's been holding them back and that everything always has to be about Jericho. It can't be about Santana, Ortiz, or anybody in the inner circle. The spotlight always has to be on Jericho, and that even whenever they're off doing something else, and it looks like they're about to come close to gaining the AEW Tag Team Championships, Chris Jericho gets himself in the situation, and everybody has to run over to save Chris Jericho. Jericho says that, listen, you guys can't blame me for not being AEW Tag Team Champions because a year ago, almost to this day, you guys had a match with the Young Bucks and you lost. That had nothing to do with me. Jericho then mentions on to say that, you know what? I probably got the wrong two members from LAX and he asks Jake Hager, do you have the number for Homicide and Hernandez? And Santana quickly rushes at the throat of Chris Jericho and grabs him by the throat. Sammy Guevara tries to get in between them, both of them, and tells them both that they need to chill out. And Jericho gets a mic and just tells Sammy to shut up. And now you see Santana go over to Sammy and say, that's your boy, that's your man. And now you hear the fans basically chant for Sammy, 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 because we know where all this is leading up to. Jericho tries to apologize to Sammy. Sammy tells him, nope, he doesn't want to hear it. And he tells them all, listen, I love all of you. I love the inner circle. You guys, remember, we're not supposed to be breaking up. Remember, inner circle for life, right? But Sammy does mention that, listen, I quit this group once, and I'll quit it again. So he takes off his inner circle biker jacket. He tells them point blank, until you guys get this crap done and figure it out, I'm done with this. He throws the inner circle biker jacket down, and he starts walking out of the ring. Ortiz gets the mic and tells Jericho, listen, you think our problem... You think Eddie Kingston is the whole problem with this? No. Eddie Kingston has been our boy for a long time. And just like the Inner Circle, he's always been a brother in arms for us backstage and everything else. But he does tell Jericho this. All this talking back and forth, that's not what we do in our livelihoods. That's not what we do where we come from. The way that we figure out our problems is not by talking. It's about handling it with our fist. So Santana and Ortiz makes the match for next week. Proud and powerful going against Hager and Jericho. 
Jericho agrees to this and tells him that, listen, that if they don't figure this out by the end of next week after that match, changes will have to be made. So more than less, I see where this is headed. Either Proud and Powerful wins and they want to shake Jericho's hand and Jericho's going to get pissed because he lost to Proud and Powerful and he doesn't shake their hands. Or Jericho's going to be a dirty something and he's going to either low blow either Santana and Ortiz and then mercilessly beat them up after the uh, match. The whole match next week is basically this um, ending of the Inner Circle as we know it. Inner Circle is going to be disbanded. Sammy's going to be about his, doing his own thing as TNT champion. Hager's going to be the bodyguard of Chris Jericho out. Proud and Powerful is going to be off doing their own thing in the tag team division. It's about time for Inner Circle 2 break up, if I'm going to be honest, because again, Proud and Powerful needs to be on their own. And Jericho, I would like to see him back in the main event picture doing something because Jericho on commentary is great, but we don't always need him to be uh, getting into little something and then everybody from the Inner Circle runs up. It's that time is dead and gone now. Anyway, going back to the show, we then go backstage to Rapungi Vice on the backstage segment. They announced that on Rampage this week, it will be Rapungi Vice going against the Young Bucks. Matt Jackson and Nick interrupt this, and we basically get a beatdown of Nick Jackson and Adam Cole coming from behind, attacking Rapungi Vice. You see the Young Bucks hit the BTE trigger on Rocky Romero, and you see they're about to hit the trigger on Trent Beretta, but Adam Cole tells him, hey, move out of the way. And we don't know why Adam tells him to move out of the way until we see a figure walk up in front of the camera and we see him wearing a black jacket and it's Jay White. Jay White is now technically in AEW. I believe this is probably the open door, forbidden door initiative where AEW works with anybody and if anybody wants to come in of name value you could come in jay white grabs trent up he throws him into one of the aew eight wheelers uh and jay white basically is now in aew at least for right now he does compliment nick on his earrings say nice earrings and if anybody would have paid attention to it nick jackson was wearing like some kitchen like knives as earrings he couldn't find switchblades guarantee you but that was a little syndication of how AEW kind of drops these little subtle hints. And if you have a close eye on something, trust me, you'll catch it when you see it. Nobody catched it, I guarantee you, until Jelly J. White pointed it out with Nick Jackson's earrings. And everybody was like, oh, okay, I see where they were going with this. That wasn't the end of debuts in AEW tonight. Because immediately after this, we had the Face of the Revolution qualifying matchup. It was Isaiah Cassidy with Mark Quinn and Matt Hardy in his corner going against a mystery figure, and we don't find out who the mystery figure is until his entrance hit, and the first thing that reads up on the Titantron is, for he is limitless, and everybody pops, is Keith Lee. Keith Lee makes his debut for AEW. He is now a AEW contracted wrestler, so he has signed with AEW. He does win the match by pinfall when he pops Isaiah Cassidy in the air, catches him, and hits him with the Big Bang Catastrophe for the win. After the match, Mark Quinn tries to jump Keith Lee from behind, but that ultimately fails. Keith Lee powerbombs Mark onto the back of Isaiah Cassidy, then powerbombs him onto the ring apron. Um, During this match, we did see Matt Hardy leave the ring, so Matt Hardy is kind of like, I believe he's probably going to distance himself from the private party, and that's cool too. Private party needs to be their own tag team too. With Matt Hardy, they were doing nothing. So, 
with Private Party being themselves and going back to the way they were when they first came into AEW, probably being the hot, young, upstart tag team, I'm going to be cool with that. I'm glad. Also, I do want to congratulate Keith Lee for making his debut on AEW. And also, Keith Lee this past week did get married to Mia Yim, so they are now a married couple. I want to congratulate them both for that. And also, just Keith Lee just having a big week in general. This was just a big week for Keith Lee. Congrats. Going all around. After this, it was time for the tag team matchup of FTR with Tully Blanchard in their corner. Going against CM Punk and his mystery partner, and his partner was John Moxley. Punk and Moxley would win the match by pinfall when Punk would hit the GTS on Cash Wheeler, while Moxley would hit the Paradise Shift on Dax Harwood, and Punk would pin Cash for the win. So, CM Punk does get his rematch with MGF, but we don't know when, more or less probably at AEW Revolution, and the title, not title, but a match stipulation, we'll have to see what type of match stipulation will happen with that, more or less probably next week. After this match, we had a TES Championship matchup with Jay Cargill with Mark Sterling in her corner, defending her championship against AQA, formerly known as uh, Zeta Ramiro, I believe in NXT, that was her name. I'm sorry, I'm butchering your name, but it doesn't matter in the grand sense because Jade does win the match by pinfall when Jade hits Jaded to win and retain her TBS championship, making her a record now in AEW 27-0. After this match, we had another women's matchup. is Serena Deed going against Katie Arquette and the Professor 5-Minute Rookie Challenge, meaning... Serena's opponent has to last five minutes with Serena in the ring. Serena does make Katie tap out at the seven-minute mark to the Serena lock. There's no more to be said for this. After this, now it's time for the big main event of the night, Texas Deathmatch for the AEW World Championship. Hangman out of pitch going against Lance Archer. Hangman will win the match when he, when he flipped off the back of the referee and hit the buckshot lariat on Archer, and both men went through two tables that were on the outside of the ring. Hangman was able to get back to his feet by the count of nine, but Archer couldn't make it to the count of ten, and that's when the referee ring for the bell, because in the Texas Deathmatch, the only way you can win is by knockout, which means ten, uh, you got you to be down for the count of ten, or by submission. Um, This was a real bloody matchup between both of these men. You saw them use steel chairs, kendo sticks, trash can lids, barbed wire, and even steel steps when Lance Archer hit uh, Hangman Page with the blackout from the ring apron onto the steel steps. And that looked like a nasty fall that Hangman took on that uh, steel steps. I mean, that thing was... It looked brutal. I'm not going to front with you. Even at the beginning, beginning of the matchup, you saw Hangman uh, put... Archer through uh, Archer's like glass pane that he has for his entrance, and Archer started to bleed from that. I mean, it was a real bloody matchup between Archer and Hangman. If you like violence that much, you're going to want to see this uh, main event matchup between Archer and Hangman any way that you can. After the match, you see Adam Cole come walking down to the ring, grab the AEW championship from the referee, and he places it on Hangman. And that signifies that Adam Cole is basically letting Heyman know that I'm next in line for that AEW World Championship. So AEW Dynamite was a good show to watch, again, with two people making their AEW debuts. And we have future ramifications going on to let everybody know what's going to happen later on. So again, AEW Dynamite, good show. 
And that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with Josh Alexander in his street clothes coming down to the ring for an in-ring promo. Josh states that if there's one thing more important to him than the Impact World Championship, it's Impact Wrestling. He mentions how three years ago, Impact was the only place that would give him an opportunity and states that without Impact Wrestling, there would be no walking weapon Josh Alexander. Josh states that he is going to stand by his Impact brothers side by side as they go to war with Honor No More at No Surrender. Then Josh then shifts his focus onto the Impact World Championship. He makes it clear that whoever wins that matchup at No Surrender between Moose or W. Morrissey, he is activating his rematch clause for the Impact Championship. Then Big Con comes out, and Big Con is basically Connor from the Ascension. He was in WWE, but he was uh, one of the... I would say one of the tag teams that WWE lost a lot of steam with whenever they got plucked from NXT developmental system in 20, I believe 20, late 2014, early 2015 when they came onto the main roster. But Connor, Big Con was Connor of the Ascension. Anyway, Con gets in the ring. Josh tells Con, I know why you're here because you're another roadblock in my way. We don't have to wait till next week. We do the match right now. Josh calls for a referee to come down to the ring so they can have the match, and that's what happens. Josh Alexander does beat Big Con by submission when he applies the ankle lock on Con, and Con taps out. This match was about to go what? I'll give it five minutes because it was real quick. It was straight to the point. Josh Alexander was just there to do his job and basically beat Con, and Con was basically there just to get beat. After the match, Josh goes back to apply the ankle lock on Khan, and he wouldn't let go. So security guards comes running down to the ring and try to get Josh to relinquish the hold, but Josh lets go of the hold and starts pushing and punching at the security guards. And Josh was about to get hit one of the security guards with the C4 spike, but Scott Demore comes running down to the ring, and he puts his arm on Josh's shoulder. Josh doesn't know that it's Scott, and he pushes Scott off of him, and Scott then falls onto the mat. Josh Alexander looks shocked at this, and he looks at Scott as Scott gets up. Scott gets a microphone and states that how he starts reminiscing about giving Josh Alexander a contract three years ago and talks about how Josh, at that moment when he got the contract, told Scott that you're going to be looking at your future Impact World Champion. And Scott tells him, you did that, and you did a lot of other things for Impact Wrestling. And he asks Josh, what more do you want? Josh tells Scott that he doesn't want to hear this crap from the executive, corporate executive. He wants his coach, the guy that trained up Josh Alexander, the guy that helped bring him into Impact Wrestling. Josh tells Scott that he is tired of hearing about the process and that he wants the winner of Moose and Morrissey for the Impact World Championship. And he talks about how the only thing that he can constantly focus on is getting back to Impact World Championship because he wants to be able to bring him back to his home, bring him back to his kids or his wife, because the only thing they remember is seeing Josh getting beat by Moose and them being in the ring. And he mentioned that if he doesn't get that, then you could be looking at the hottest free agent in wrestling again. So Scott tells Josh that you need to calm yourself down, and until you do so, I'm taking you out of the match at No Surrender. I'm taking you off Team Impact. Uh, team impact. Scott also informs Josh that Josh is going to be going home until all this is resolved. 
Josh didn't tell Scott, you don't get it. I am home. Impact Wrestling is my home. Scott tells him, listen, I, my decision is final. You're going to be going home until all this stuff can get itself resolved and you calm yourself down. So Team Impact is now down one man, but we will get to find out who will be ending up taking Josh Alexander's spot later in the night. After this segment, we go to our one-on-ones matchup in the knockouts division. It's Deanna Perrazzo going against Santana Garrett. And Santana Garrett had a choice to make. She could either go against Deanna Perrazzo for the Ring of Honor World Champ- Women's Championship or the AAA Reina Del Reina Championship. Santana Garrett picks the Ring of Honor World Championship. So this was now for a Ring of Honor World Championship matchup between Deanna and Santana Garrett. Deanna would win the match by pinfall when Santana Garrett got caught in the armbar, and Santana tried to counter out of the armbar submission, but Deanna Peraza was able to counter that and turn that into a pinning maneuver for the win, so Deanna Peraza is still your Ring of Honor Women's Champion. Good match between Deanna Peraza and Santana Garrett. No complaints here. After this, we had Chelsea Green going against Mickey James in a non-title uh, matchup. Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans were at ringside for the matchup, Tasha Steeles was on commentary, to be more specific. Uh, Chelsea Green does win the match by DQ when Chelsea and Mickey James were reversing out of each other's moves, and Chelsea then hits a cutter on Mickey. Tasha Steeles uses a cutter in her move set, so Tasha Steeles took offense to this, and then she decides to throw a trash can into the ring. The referee, distracted by this, tries to get the trash can out of the ring. And while this is happening, Tasha Steeles gets on the ring apron and Chelsea Green gets on the ring apron. So now those two are arguing. And then you see Savannah Evans grabs Chelsea's leg and then sweeps her off the apron. The referee sees this and he rings the bell. So Chelsea Green technically now has a win over Mickey James by disqualification. After this, we have a Bullet Club in-ring promo. It's the Gorillas of Destiny, Jay White and Chris Bay out in the middle of the ring. Uh, they're basically out here to promote their matches that are going to happen at No Surrender. Tongalo of G.O.D. mentions that the Gorillas of Destiny are seven-time IWGP Tag Team Champions and that they will beat the Good Brothers for the Impact Tag Team Championships. Jay White then talks about how Violence by Design are bigger fans of the Bullet Club for because they're teaming up with the Good Brothers to create their own alliance to try to take out Bullet Club. Violence by Design then comes out and Eric tells Jay White that Impact doesn't belong to the Bullet Club. It belongs to Violence by Design. Jay then proceeds to list all of his nicknames and accolades to Eric Young saying he's the real belt collector. He's the only man and the first man to be the first Grand Slam champion in New Japan. He's the only man to have single-handedly uh, main event and sell out Madison Square Garden. He is King Switch, all these nicknames. And also tells Eric that while he was building up a bootleg version of Bullet Club, which he calls Violent by Design, Jay White is the real leader of the real Bullet Club. Eric Young then decides to throw out a challenge for a six-man tag team match next week. Jay accepts, but tells Eric that since Bullet Club is all here and Violent Design is all here, why not fight right now? The Good Brothers then decide to come out. Carl has a mic in his hands, and he says, I'm happy that I'm here and that the Bullet Club's here so I can finally get my thank you. Doc then tells the Bullet Club that they should be thanking them for all the big houses that they live in, the clothes that there's on their kids' backs, and etc. Tamatanga then says thank you to the Good Brothers 
But thank you for leaving New Japan. Tama mentions how Carl and Doc tried to recreate Bullet Club everywhere that they went, but they have failed. Wish they're talking about WWE. Tama then mentions how they had the OC, the club, Orange County, the original club. Tama Tonga was just throwing out names, which the internet wrestling fans will understand. Those were the names that uh, WWE tried to label the Bullet Club under in WWE without using Bullet Club name. Tama mentions how the Good Brothers have been fired from every place they have been, which technically isn't true because New Japan, they didn't fire, they left. But WWE did get fired from. And that at no surrender, after they take the Impact Tag Team titles away from them, they will be officially fired from the Bullet Club. So again, that's the end of that segment. And that, again, was just to prop up and promote their matches that's coming up at no surrender. After this, we have a tag team matchup. The OGK, which consists of Matt Taven and Mike Bennett, uh, they come out for their tag match, going against Rhino and Rich Swan. OGK wins the match when Maria Kanellis gets off of the commentary booth. She goes over to grab Rhino's leg, and as Rhino looks at her, Rhino gets hit in the face with powder by Maria. While Rhino can't see, Taven decides to hit the climax for the win. After the match, the OGK continues to attack Rhino and Rich Swan. Then, as... They are attacking them. You see Kerry Silken, the former president of Ring of Honor, uh, sitting at ringside, and he just yells, shameful, shameful to OGK. Then the OGK gets out of the ring, getting Kerry Silken's face, and you see Matt Taven grab uh, Kerry by the shirt. It looks as if Matt Taven was about to hit Kerry Silken, but you see Steve Macklin's music hits. Steve Macklin comes running down to the ring to make the save. He takes care of Taven by throwing him into the steel steps, and as he's about to go after Mike Bennett, Bennett rolls himself back into the ring. But as soon as Bennett turns around, Rhino hits him with a gore. We then go backstage. We see Kerry Silken talking to Ian Riccoboni and Bobby Cruz. Steve Macklin walks up to them. And Ian thanks uh, Steve for saving Kerry Silken. Macklin tells him that it wasn't about Kerry. It's about him trying to get revenge on Honor No More after last week. Then you see Eddie Edwards and Chris Saban walk up to Macklin. And Macklin tells him, listen, you need me to be a part of Team Impact since you guys lost Josh Alexander. I need to be a part of it. I understand you guys don't like me, and personally, I might not like you guys, but we all can put our differences aside and take care of Honor No More. Eddie Edwards tells Macklin that he has his doubts, but Saban says, listen, we need a member on the team, and why not? So, Steve uh, is now a part of Team Impact. So, again, now we still have our 5-1-5 matchup at No Surrender. Now it's time for our main event. No disqualification match. Brian Myers with the learning tree at his side going against W. Morrissey. W. Morrissey does win the match by a pinfall when Morrissey powerbombs Brian on thumbtacks not once but twice to win the matchup. You had, at the beginning, earlier stages of the matchup, you had um, W. Morrissey chokeslam VSK off of the turnbuckle through a table, and I believe he big-booted um, Zicky Dice off the ring apron through a table. But Brian Myers and Morrissey had a nice notification no match. You saw them use Kendo Sticks. Uh, Brian Myers tried to use duct tape to keep Morrissey down so he could hit him some more. It was a nice creative notification match of a big man going against a little man. After the matchup, you see Moose attack Morrissey from behind with the championship belt to the head. And then Moose will go outside the ring to grab a steel chair. He starts using the steel chair to choke Morrissey in the throat. Then you see Moose wrap Morrissey's neck in the chair. And then you see Moose go out to get another chair and start 
beating up on uh, Morrissey's neck that has the steel chair on it. And he does this a good four times. So this is able to incapacitate Morrissey. And Moose stands over him with the Impact Championship to represent that he's not taking the championship away from him at no surrender. Impact, good episode watch. It was a solid, uh, fun show. Anyway, that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with a Sonya Deville in-ring promo. Sonya's out here to let people know that there will be consequences for their actions. She talks about how Ronda Rousey can't be coming around here putting her hands on her, and Naomi can't be coming around here putting her hands on her, which leads to Sonya talking about how she went to upper management and she petitioned for Ronda to be suspended indefinitely and be fined $100,000 since she put her hands on Sonya Deville last week. Adam Pierce comes out and reads an email from Vince McMahon, and the email states that he rejected Sonya Deville's petition to suspend Ronda Rousey and a finer. And he also makes note that Sonya, he has been watching what Sonya Deville has been doing to Naomi, and that tonight Sonya Deville cannot lay a hand on Naomi, and she cannot interfere in Naomi's championship match against Charlotte Flair tonight, because if she does in any capacity, then her job will be in serious jeopardy. Naomi then comes out and goes into the ring, and Naomi gets on the mic and tells Sonya that Mr. McMahon said you can't lay a hand on me, but he never said anything about me laying a hand on you. Then Naomi slaps Sonya Deville across the face and then leaves the ring. So this is at least one measure of revenge that Naomi's able to get after months of dealing with Sonya Deville's uh, abuse of power over Naomi for absolutely no reason. After this, we get our first match of the night. It's a tag team matchup. The New Day, Big E and Kofi Kingston, go against Los Lotharios, Angel, and Humberto in a rematch from their matchup last week. Last week, the New Day won, but this week, Los Lotharios won the matchup by a pinfall when Angel was able to reverse out of Kofi Kingston's pin attempt and then stack up Kofi for a pinfall victory. It was a great tag team matchup to start off SmackDown. At one point, I thought... Los Lotharios was going to win by a different manu- uh, maneuver whenever Angel hit a moonsault to Biggie on the outside, and then Humberto hit a big, glorious, picture-perfect moonsault onto Kofi Kingston inside the ring, but that didn't happen. Again, great tag team chemistry between both of these teams. It tells me that we're going to get one more matchup between these two teams, being the rubber match, probably next week on uh, SmackDown. After this backstage interview with the Viking Raiders, the Viking Raiders were about to answer a question about how they were going to gain momentum following Ivar's loss to Jimmy Uso last week. But before they could answer that, the Usos jumped them and beat them down and end up taking their hair, their uh, headgear and saying that they're going to hold it up on their mantle. And they leave this uh, interview segment. After this, it's time for another backstage interview uh, statement, but this time it's Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman having a sit-down interview with Michael Cole. Roman Reigns asks questions about Goldberg, obviously, since he has a matchup with Goldberg next Saturday at the Elimination Chamber. Roman Reigns downplays Goldberg's accomplishments in WCW when Michael Cole mentioned that Goldberg was on a streak of winning 100 and some odd matches. Roman Reigns states that if he was in WCW, everybody would be winning because they would still be in business today. He then gets asked how much pressure does he feel going into a match against Goldberg that he was supposed to have two years ago. Roman states that he doesn't feel any pressure. It's Goldberg that should be feeling the pressure. He mentions that Goldberg had a chance at beating him two years ago, but times have changed and he has changed. He's the head of the table. He is 
the Universal Champion. He's the greatest of all time. And then to end the segment, Roman Reigns will have this to say about Goldberg. I'm going to smash Goldberg. As a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to hear is not a prediction. It's a spoiler. I'm going to Goldberg. Goldberg. We would get Goldberg's response to this because Goldberg had a sit-down interview later in the night. After this, we had Aaliyah going against Natalia, and the only way to win the match is by pinfall or submission. Natalia will win the match by submission when Natalia locked in the sharpshooter on Aaliyah, but Aaliyah was able to make it to the bottom rope, but the referee had to let Aaliyah know that it doesn't matter. This is a no-disqualification matchup. So Aaliyah taps out. Um, after the match, Natalia attacks Aaliyah until Zaylee comes out to make the save. Zaylee and Natalia trade blows, but Zaylee was able to get the better of Natalia because obviously Natalia just got done having a match with Aaliyah, so she was tired. After this, we had an in-ring segment in Zane with Sami Zayn's guests Rick Boogs and Shinsuke Nakamura. Sami tells Nakamura that he has been ducking him for the past six weeks while Sami Zayn has been over here waiting for his Intercontinental Championship matchup. But Sammy will get that next week. Sammy claims that Nakamura has been working with Johnny Knoxville to embarrass and harass him. Sammy tells Nakamura that at one time he had the great liberator Sammy Zayn in his corner, but now he's relegated himself to having a meathead like Rick Boogs in his corner. Boogs tells Sammy to shut up. And as Boogs was about to say more things to Sammy Zayn, he grabs the microphone and his hands get electrocuted. Nakamura checks on Boogs. As Boogs is un, uh, laid out in the corner, checking his hands, Sami Zayn at this time is now allowed to hit the huluva kick on Nakamura. Nakamura goes down, Sami Zayn plays up like, oh my god, somebody get some help out here for Rick Boogs and Nakamura. But obviously, Sami Zayn had the whole microphone queued up to uh, electrocute anybody's hands that end up touching them, pulling a Johnny Knoxville on Boogs. After this, we had a one-on-one contest between Happy Corbin and Cesaro. Happy Corbin was able to defeat Cesaro by pinfall when Corbin was able to hit the end of days on Cesaro for the win. It does get announced that Happy Corbin is undefeated since he has become Happy Corbin. I didn't know this until the announce team and also the ring announcer announced it after the match. So it's a nice little thing to kind of like informing the fans about this. Because we already know that Drew McIntyre is going after Happy Corbin, so more or less Happy Corbin is going to have his uh, undefeated like little run here be ended by Drew McIntyre. After this, we go to the trainer's room. We see Madcap getting his eye checked out. His It's his right eye that he got Claymore kicked last week, so right now his eye looks blacked out. Uh, Moss is trying to tell the doctor that he probably needs to call off his matchup with McIntyre at the Elimination Chamber. The doctor has Madcap Moss close both of his eyes and tell him to open up his right eye and tell him what he sees. Once Madcap does this, he says he sees a sword, which is correct because Drew has his sword over Madcap's eyes. Drew tells Madcap to tell the doctor you can see out of your eyes, and Madcap does so, and Drew lets Madcap know that at Elimination Chamber, their match won't be a regular match. Oh no. It will be a false count anywhere match. So Drew's planning on beating up Madcap Moss a lot at Elimination Chamber. After this, now it's time for Goldberg's uh, retort towards Roman Reigns, and this is what he had to say. Firstly, 
He must have an extremely short memory because I acknowledged Roman Reigns last week as my next victim. What's about to happen at Elimination Chamber after I destroy him is he will acknowledge me as the new Universal Champion. I will take the title and I will walk into the main event at WrestleMania and I will face Brock Lesnar and his ass will be next. As far as Goldberging Goldberg, <laughs> good luck with that kid. There's only one me. It ain't gonna happen. After this, now it's time for our SmackDown main event. It is for the SmackDown Women's Championship between Charlotte Flair and Naomi. Charlotte would win the match by pinfall when Charlotte hits the natural selection on Naomi for the win. After the match, Sonya Deville got into the ring and started taunting Naomi, calling her a loser. Naomi is now getting herself together. She gets up and starts attacking Sonya Deville. But as she's doing this, she gets attacked from behind by Charlotte. And so now you have Sonya Deville and Charlotte both attacking Naomi. And this continues to happen until Ronda Rousey music hits and Ronda runs down to the ring to make the save. Ronda kicks Sonya in the gut and then you start seeing Ronda start punching Charlotte in the stomach. Charlotte is now getting beat up and beat up on by Ronda until Sonya hits Ronda from behind. Ronda looks at Sonya Deville like that punch didn't affect her, nor it, like, bother her at all. Sonya tries to play the hurt card because her arm is in a sling, but Ronda doesn't uh, play that. She grabs Sonya Deville's other arm and hits a judo throw. Ronda was about to lock in the arm bar on her arm, but Charlotte was able to pull Sonya Deville out of the ring, so our lasting image that we do see on SmackDown is Naomi being helped up by Ronda Rousey as... Sonya Deville, and Charlotte Flair on the outside of the ring. I like that they had Ronda come out here to make the save. I mean, it's good to see that Naomi actually has people in her corner. I mean, even though Ronda Rousey is uh, going after Charlotte, and you know why she came out there to make the save, but it was still good to see Naomi at least have somebody uh, backing her in this whole like thing with Sonya Deville, which again, it still doesn't make sense, but... I'm glad they're at least giving Naomi like a storyline to do instead of doing nothing with her. And that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for AEW Rampage, but before I get into the highlights of it, they do announce that next week, Rampage will start at a special time, 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. This is because NBA is going to be having their um, all-star like weekend, so they don't want to like get in the way of NBA doing their thing. So that's the reason why they're having Rampage start at 7 o'clock Eastern time at 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific on next Friday. Now, getting with their highlights. The first match of the night was Rapungi Vice with Orange Cassidy in their corner going against the Young Bucks with Brandon Color in their corner. The Young Bucks will win the match by pinfall when they hit the BTE trigger on Rocky for the win. This was an excellent match between both of these two teams. You had Rapungi Vice and Young Bucks being able to play off the history that they have on with each other from their New Japan days. And they're even able to get a funny moment where Orange Cassidy rolls underneath the ring and you see a like hand pop up out of the like underneath the ring with their thumb up. And obviously you can tell it's not Orange Cassidy because Orange Cassidy wasn't wearing black on his uh, arms. You see like a little black like cloth, like a little uh piece of clothing material on the arm and tattoos a little bit poking out the young bucks pull the mystery pull the hand out and they are able to pull the body that's connected to the hand and it's danhausen 
the fans pop for it. The fans are cheering because everybody loves Dan House, and even commentary is like jumping for glee because they see Dan House, and you hear it in their voice. You don't see them jumping, but you hear it. And you see Rocky and Trent uh, hit a suicide dive through the ropes as Danhausen is telling both the young bucks that they're going to be cursed. I mean, it was a nice little funny like bit to get Danhausen uh over and into the match and it's kind of like letting everybody know that Danhausen is with the best friends kind of anyway after the match is done you see Orange Cassidy get into the ring and he checks on Rocky as Brandon Cutler gets in the ring and starts mocking Orange Cassidy and even at one point Brandon sprays Orange Cassidy in the face with like the body mist that he does to cool down the young bucks but Orange Cassidy's wearing sunglasses so the spray misses his eyes at this moment, Cassidy does his whole little kicking of the shins bit where he kicks people softly. Uh, he's about to do his whole little big mega kick, but Cassidy runs, not Cassidy, but Cutler runs towards Cassidy. Cassidy ducks. He hits Cutler with the orange punch, which is a Superman punch. This knocks Cutler down. The Young Bucks get back in the ring, and then now they... Double super kick, Orange Cassidy. The Young Bucks didn't leave the ring once Trent gets back in the ring and he wants to do something to the Young Bucks. But lurking behind Trent was Jay White, who pops into the ring, I mean, just so smoothly. And he turns Trent around, he hits the Blade Runner, and now this sets up for a match with Trent Beretta going against Jay White next week on Rampage. After this, we have a backstage promo from Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson touch on... Uh, Moxley teaming up with Punk on Dynamite. He says that what he is offering Moxley is a lifetime partnership, while him teaming up with Punk was a one-night stand type of deal. Brian is then interrupted by Matt Seidel with Lee Moriarty by his side. Matt questions Brian about what he said about him last week. Brian lets Matt know, listen, I have all the respect for you in the world. You know that. But you can't teach Lee Moriarty what I can teach, and that's violence. Lee steps in and tells Brian that he knows violence and he will show it to him. Brian tells Lee Moriarty that I like that. I like somebody that steps up and tells Moriarty that I'll see about that on Dynamite. You bring that violence. So we got our uh, another match that's set up for Dynamite. It's Lee Moriarty going against Brian Danielson. After this, we have Britt Baker with Rebel in her corner going against Robin Renegade. Britt does win the match by pinfall when Britt hits the Fisherman Neckbreaker on uh, Robin, then hits a curb stomp for the win. After the match, Rebel gives Britt her glove to put on, and Britt applies a lockjaw on Robin. And she continues to hold on to the submission until Thunder Rosa comes running down. She takes out Rebel at the entrance way, and then she runs into the ring and starts beating up on Britt Baker. Jamie Hayter comes running down the ring and attacks Thunder Rosa from behind and then hits a backbreaker on Thunder Rosa and starts beating up on Thunder Rosa. Mercedes Martinez comes running into the ring and she pushes Jamie Hayter off of Thunder Rosa and she's now attacking Thunder Rosa. Now you get Jamie get up, she pushes Mercedes off Thunder Rosa, now she goes back to beating up on Thunder Rosa and then you see Britt had to come in between both Jamie Hayter and Mercedes Martinez to kind of cool both of them down. She puts her arms around both of the ladies, and that's the end of this. So you can tell that Mercedes Martinez is going to get tired of Jamie Hayter, and Jamie Hayter is going to get tired of Mercedes, and those two are going to fight each other, even though they're both doing the bidding of Britt Baker. After this, we have Hook's 
match on Rampage going against Blake Lee, who's supposedly a student at the factory under the wing of QT Marshall. Hook beats Brett, uh, Blake Lee, obviously by submission when he locks in the red rum. And during this whole match, he brutalized Blake Lee. I mean, Blake was able to get a couple hits off, but I mean, a good 98% of this match was Hook. Blake was probably able to get like 2% worth of something in this match, but Hook is the man. Let's just call a spade a spade. Everybody loves Hook. Hook is literally one of the fastest rising guys on uh, AEW's whole entire roster. Even though he's only like, they solidified it. This was like his fifth match on, like in his whole AEW career. So Hook is gaining some traction here. He just got to get a couple more uh, wins underneath his belt, and I guarantee you they're going to start putting him up on the rankings for uh, getting a title shot against somebody, more or less Sammy Guevara for the TNT Championship, but that's within the near, but that's that's within the future, not right now. After this, main event time, AEW Tag Team Championship matchup, Jurassic Express with Christian Cage in their corner, going against the Gun Club with Billy Gunn in their corner. Jurassic Express does win the match by pinfall when the Jungle Boy hits the kill, uh, kill switch on Austin Gunn for the win, and they retain their AEW Tag Team Championships. The Gun Club had a nice showing in this matchup. I mean, at certain points, you thought that the Gun Club were going to win because at one point, the referee was distracted. Uh, Colton was handed one of the AEW Tag Team Championships. He hits Jungle Boy in the face with it. He pins them, and it looks like we're going to get new tag champs, but that was not uh, that was not the case here. So we still have still Jurassic Express as the AEW Tag Team Championships champions. But again, nice Rampage. Nice, good episode of Rampage to set up Dynamite and also next week's episode of Rampage. But that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, this is Black History Month, and I have been watching a podcast called the Public uh, Enemies Podcast, and they have been doing something on their podcast uh, last week and this week. They were giving credit to black wrestlers that they wanted to give credit to. And I wanted to ex- like extend my hand out on that. I don't mean to completely gank it, but I wanted to just extend my hand out on that. I thought that was a cool concept and a cool idea since obviously it's Black History Month. And I'll speak more onto that tomorrow my Sunday episode personally about something that I've been noticing but I do want to give credit to a uh underappreciated black wrestling talent and to me he's a legend in my eyes personally it's Shelton Benjamin Shelton Benjamin came into WWE on the main roster in 2002 he came in as one of the, well technically 2003 but um he had his he was with Charlie Haas and Kurt Angle, Team Angle. Then ultimately, they split from Kurt Angle and they became uh, the world's greatest tag team. And they had a nice, good run. Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas were a rookie tag team on SmackDown in 2003. They had matches with Los Guerreros and Chris Benoit and Rhino and Eddie Guerrero and Tajiri at Judgment Day. That's a match that everybody likes to float back to when you think of the world's greatest tag team uh, matchups in their career, especially Shelton's early career in WWE. Uh, Shelton had a nice, good career. Well, a nice, good tag team with him with Charlie Haas. And then he got split away from Charlie Haas. He goes over to Raw. His first match is him going against Triple H, and he beats 
Triple H in an upset victory. And then he ends up feuding with Triple H. And he ends up beating him three, well, three times total. One by pinfall, one for a countout, one by disqualification. And then it starts setting up Benjamin to start going against other members of Triple H's uh, group in Evolution. He ends up going against Ric Flair and beats him at Backlash. He ends up getting an kind of Championship matchup at Bad Blood against Randy Orton, but ends up losing. Fast forward, uh, Taboo Tuesday happens of 2004. He goes against Chris Jericho, and he beats Chris Jericho, and he becomes the Intercontinental Champion, and he holds on to that belt. For 244 days, and that would end uh, the longest reigning Intercontinental Championship reign of the decade at that time, which was 244 days of Sheldon Benjamin. Sheldon Benjamin will end up regaining the Intercontinental Championship two more times, well, in his WWE career. So, in total, three times Intercontinental Champion. He ends up holding the United States Championship once. He ends up holding the... uh, Tag Team Championships three times, twice with Charlie, one time with Cedric Alexander in the Hurt Business. Sheldon Benjamin is a legend to me. Let me break down the reason why. In 2002, you didn't have much, like, black wrestlers in WWE. The only one I could think of, technically, were, like, Roddy Mack, Mark Henry, Farouk, um, who else? Well, Roddy Mack came in later, but you get the drift, like Farouk, Devon, Mark Henry. Sean Benjamin comes in, he's athletic, he's a young guy, he does, he's agile, he can do high-flying stuff. Him and Charlie Haas were just connecting and clicking with wrestling, I mean, just doing great things in that his early run. He gets split away, he does great things, he does crazy maneuvers. He was the first wrestler that I've seen run off, Onto a ladder and do crazy maneuvers. At WrestleMania 21, I remember getting a DVD, and that was one of the matches I wanted to see off of the highlights that I watched on YouTube at the time when I had a, my parents had a home computer. And I saw the highlights of WrestleMania 21 and Sheldon Benjamin just running off the ladder, him doing maneuvers off of a ladder. And this will be a condi- uh, tradition that Charlie, not Charlie, but... Sean Benjamin will be doing for years later every time he was in a uh, Money in the Bank match or even a ladder match. He will always do some type of crazy maneuver, and I personally like that because we didn't see a lot of those. Sean Benjamin was the guy taking the responsibility upon himself and just doing these crazy maneuvers, and even though he never won a Money in the Bank contract matchup, which I will never get in my lifetime, he should have won at least one. He should have won... Uh, either the, I understand why they didn't give him 21 because they had a setup plan for Edge, but he could have won the second one, the WrestleMania 22 one. Shoot, they could have gave him WrestleMania 24. Punk still would have won the next year's one because Punk won in WrestleMania 24 and 25. You could have gave Shelton Benjamin one of those ladder matches, straight up. But hey, I digress. Sean Benjamin ends up becoming the gold standard. He has a good time becoming the gold standard. He bleaches hair blonde. He still is athletic. He still does what he does. But he also, at this timing, we know, well, now with hindsight being 2020, he kind of is on his way out at this time with WWE. At this time, he puts over a new guy, which we now know as Kofi Kingston, one of one third of the greatest 
stable ever in WWE, three-man group, stable, whatever you want to call it, The New Day, he helps put Kofi over and Kofi's first feud in WWE. I remember that feud because I used to watch ECW, WWE's version of ECW. I used to watch that when it would come on sci-fi. Shelton Benjamin helped put Kofi over because I believe even after that feud, Kofi went into the... um. His next feud, not even feud, his next big thing that he did was going to Night of Champions, beating Chris Jericho for the Intercontinental Championship. And I believe without that feud with Shelton Benjamin and Shelton kind of propping up uh, Kofi, I don't think Kofi would have gotten that opportunity with Chris Jericho. The same man, and I want to bring this back full circle, who Shelton Benjamin won his first Intercontinental Championship off of that Chris Jericho. So Chris Jericho, I believe probably even pointed at Kofi Kingston to beat him at Night of Champions. That could have happened, could have not happened. I'm just saying it's real funny and full circle type of moments. Kind of like, like, throw this guy up into the stratosphere. Um, Shelton Benjamin's remembered for, obviously, the super kick with Shawn Michaels that still gets played to this day when they pull off highlight videos of Shawn Michaels super kicks or even the greatest super kicks of all time on the WWE like YouTube page when they do the countdown they still throw that super kick up there I mean Shelton Benjamin is a is without a doubt a guy that gives back to anybody that he's in the ring with he can give you a good match but he also gives back a whole lot more than he actually gets back and if you think of mine the Hurt Business was a prime example her business comes together. It originally was Benjamin MVP Bobby Lashley. Now, WWE could have obviously kept it just, just those three and had Bobby obviously uh, team up with Shelton. They could have ran the tag team division and he had them break off a little bit. Find one more man so Benjamin could groom him under and this become your black evolution where, triple, where the Triple H would have been Bobby Lashley, main eventing style. The Ric Flair would have been MVP and uh, the Shelton Benjamin and Batista, but an older version technically of Batista would have been Shelton Benjamin because he has the uh, seasoning already of a veteran, but he still has enough muscular uh, and enough in-ring credibility to still do what he got to do. And the Randy Orton would have been Cedric Alexander, which this four-man unit Shelton and Cedric win the Raw Tag Team titles. They could have held them longer than what they did hold them for. And the Hurt Business really could have been the Black Evolution. But WWE decided to snip, cut their water off, and uh, not run with that. Shelton Benjamin is still on the Raw roster. They're not doing much with him. I believe that Shelton Benjamin should be getting a better hand deal than what he's gotten. But... Anytime you see Shelton Benjamin on television, just send out a tweet to say, thank you, Shelton. Shelton Benjamin deserves a lot of credit that I don't think people give him credit for. He's helped a lot of people out. He's done a lot of great business for WWE in the ring. And I believe that Shelton Benjamin should have been world champion at one point. But again, that's another ball that WWE dropped. I wish that WWE would quit dropping the ball on black athletes. We're seeing them do it now with Big E, and they're seeing them do it now with Kofi Kingston. But, I'll, matter of fact, I was about to say I'll get into that next week, but nope, I'll get into it now. On commentary, we saw and we heard how 
Corey Graves, who had to take in for in replace for Pat McAfee this week, because Pat McAfee's at the Super Bowl. Corey Graves mentioned how Big E seems a lot comfortable being in the ring whenever he's teaming with Kofi Kingston. And that's kind of WWE's uh subtle way of saying how they're gonna keep Big E in the tag team like shine light with Kofi Kingston. And I'm I don't like it. Big E still hasn't gotten his rematch for the WWE Championship and has been informed to me because apparently WWE has decided to draft over Big E over to the SmackDown roster. I didn't know that until I, it was brought to my attention and I was questioning to myself, why would you bring Big E over to the SmackDown? I understand Woods isn't there and we got to do something with Kofi. So you could have kept E technically as a substitution, but you don't have to say, oh yeah, we like moved him back over to SmackDown. His... No, what? God bless. Biggie still has a freaking WWE championship rematch clause. And you might say, Gerald, they don't do rematch clauses no more because we're in the new era. Shut up. Yes, they do. Because if you mean to tell me you could put Brock Lesnar, who straight up said and verbatimly came out of his mouth and said, I want my rematch the night after Royal Rumble. And they announced that the Elimination Chamber was being propped in and how. You just threw Bobby Lashley to Elimination Chamber. You mean to tell me you could have thrown Big E in there? You could have took AJ out. No disrespect to AJ. Because right now, they're doing something with Theory, and I understand that's why they want to put him into the Elimination Chamber. You want to do something with Riddle. Matter of fact, you could have probably took Riddle out because Riddle's technically with Radio RKO. So yeah, you could have took Riddle out. And you still could have had a great Elimination Chamber matchup with Big E. Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, Austin Theory, AJ Styles, and Seth Rollins. Still a great elimination chamber, but you don't put Big E in there. For what reason? Because Kofi needs a tag partner because Woods is not there right now. That, it, oh my god. I don't like it. They're squandering Big E. Like, they squander a lot of black talent over there in WWE. Yes, we get a chance to run like they're doing right now with Carmelo... Hayes, they're giving my man a nice good shot to run with that North American Championship. And I want him to score every touchdown that he can. And I want him to elevate himself up to be the NXT champion. But we're going to see what they do with Melo. Right now, they're treating Melo nicely, and I'm glad to see it. I just want them to do that with every other black talent that they have on their roster. Instead of, okay, we'll prop him up at one point, and then no. Bianca Belair, they're going to constantly treat her well because right now she is the only, like, dominant, dominant woman on the women's roster. But I don't want them to treat Bianca Belair as just another woman on the roster. She is incredible. She is phenomenal. She is one of those women that you should be building your whole franchise around. But again, I want to give credit to Shelton Benjamin. That was my little tirade that I had on WWE created when it comes down to black talent. Again, I love WWE. I love professional wrestling. I get really, really tight. I get really, really, like, bothered whenever I see something stupid happen. Whenever you are not doing something with talent that you could be doing and utilizing to your best of your ability. Because you have a lot of television time. You can easily... Kill some of that time by putting some of the great talent that you do have on television and let them just do what they do best at what you pay them for. But hey, again, 
I'm just a guy watching your talent, watching your product, and just throwing out ideas from time to time. But anyway, I want to give credit to Sheldon Benjamin. He deserves it. Every time I will see Sheldon Benjamin, which we do need to see a lot more Sheldon, uh, is always a good thing. But again, that's just my... Uh, want to show appreciating the Sheldon Benjamin. That's me wanting to give WWE some criticism to their creative process to black talent. That's just how I feel. Now, with all that being said, let me give you my uh, my social media links where you can find me at. On Twitter, you can find me at, at My2Podcast. Instagram, My2CentsPodcast, G2. Email. If you want to email me, my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. I want to thank Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Audible, and Amazon Music for allowing me to be who I am, allowing me to constantly say what I want to say without no repercussions coming towards me. I thank you for that. And again, I will be speaking to you guys next week with more Wrestling Highlights of the Week on Saturday. I will appreciate it if you guys would check out my Sunday's episode, which will be coming out tomorrow. If you don't, hey, I appreciate you still. But again, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He's I and I am him. I love you. Please be safe on the Saturday uh, morning, afternoon, or night, whenever you listen to this. And with that all being said, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh Jesus wept.